If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Hi, this is Merritt and Tatum. You can get your mom a subscription to patreon.com slash partners in crime media for her birthday, just like I did. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a foreign correspondent is pulled into the story of a Westerner who joined ISIS. No, it's not caliphate. We'll discuss BBC Panorama and Frontline's I'm Not a Monster. Then their father was a fertility doctor who used his own sperm to get the deed done. What does that mean for the many strangers who learn they are siblings? We'll review Baby God from HBO. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and certified pet detective, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, and now I have a mug to celebrate my life as a cat detective. Oh, explain. Perfect. Explain, explain for those who don't have eyeballs. Yeah. So, you know, the Postal Service has been a little delayed this year, which is kind of nice because the holidays just keep going, all those gifts (laughs) that were lost in the mail. So today I got Toby's gift for me, and it is a mug that says Lara Bricker Pet Detective with me on one side. But on the back, it says... Drop the gerbil, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm just going to start saying this a lot. Nice. Nice. I just, I can't contain myself anymore. (laughs) I feel like you could have both hands in the air and still not be able to drop the gerbil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a phrase you can use in lots of different occasions. Toby, didn't you get me um, the I'm a big deal in my niche mug? Yeah. Yeah. I use yeah. it all the time. Mm. I use it all the time. You're getting a Laura Bricker pet investigator mug as well. Can't wait. <laughs> wow. It just it just hasn't the mail's been fucked up. That's all right. No worries. I'm thrilled. I could not be more <laughs> thrilled. 
no, last year I got the great mug from Toby too. It was the um, I just want to pet cats and watch true crime mug. Perfect. Wow, Toby's yeah. really like on fleek with the mugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm all I'm all about the mugs. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, mug connoisseur, and the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Rivals podcast that's about UFOs, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Drop the gerbil, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> So before we start the show, I know it's been a few days, of course, as this podcast drops. Is everyone okay? I just want to check in. It has been a week. Um, I can't say I didn't see this coming and didn't say it on this podcast because I did. We've experienced an attempted coup. Lots of other stuff has gone down. Gut check. Laura Bricker, are you okay? I am okay, um, but holy, I, I can't, I, I mean, it was hard not to feel panic Yeah, watching things unfold. And, you know, you think about, like, where were you when certain things happened? Like, I remember where I was when 9-11 happened very distinctly. I was, like, on the phone with a friend of mine who had lived through, you know, she's older, a lot, lot older than me. And she was like, gas up your car, do this, do that. We're under attack. But I'm okay. You know, I'm trying to just breathe. And drink water. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of um, all you can where do. I'm at today. Um, so, Toby Ball, how are you? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Toby's like, um, just, just another white man in America. I'll be fine. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of had that feeling of inevitability, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. Nothing unexpected about this. Yeah. Like, in some ways, it was unbelievable. And then in other ways... I was getting ready to watch, you know, the the electoral college stuff, and I also had, you know, Twitter open, and I, I saw a couple of videos of of people sort of confronting the Capitol Police by the bike racks, I guess, and I was just like, this just doesn't look that great. Yeah. And so, as, as you know, as the crowd kind of progressed, um, it just there there was an inevitability about it, and I, I actually remember there was a moment where they were talking about the Capitol had been breached, and they had I think it was the former uh, head of the Capitol Police, and he was like, "Well, you know, a broken window can be a breach, like a breach." And then somebody's like, uh, "No, there's actually people inside." Yeah. And then fairly soon after that, you you saw the people running around the Capitol. So I uh, actually had a, a friend who was in the Capitol, who's a reporter. So yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was it was horrifying, um, you know, having lived in D.C., although it was a long time ago. Um, it was jarring. And I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be unearthed. Yep. Like, why was the police presence so sparse? Oh, we know why. You know? We know why. I mean, so it's been a week. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to leave this part of the podcast in and not cut it out because something even worse has happened before this show drops. But I just want to let you know, all of our friends who live and work in the D.C. area, we're thinking of you. We know it was a terrifying day and, of course, a terrifying day for our democracy. And it just would feel weird to not at least acknowledge it. All right. So let's just get right into it. Are you guys ready to start a podcast? Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Leading off. Do you think... Sam would ever willingly choose to join ISIS? Absolutely not. Why would she put her children in that position? Why would she support something that would put other people at risk? That's not Sam. Sam uses everything that she has in her ability to get what she wants. Like what? Her personality, her looks, her intelligence. 
In 2017, war documentarian Josh Baker learned of an American mother and her kids being held inside ISIS territory. Sam Sally left Indiana and says she was tricked by her husband to join the caliphate and her son forced to make propaganda videos. Allah promised us victory and he's promised to defeat. This battle is not going to end in Raqqa or Mosul. It's going to end in New Orleans. By the will of Allah, we'll have victory. So get ready for the fighting has just begun. When Baker's reporting the story of Sam and her children, something about what she says doesn't add up. Why would a Midwestern mom bring her family into a war zone if she weren't part of the cause? I don't feel like I need to explain myself really um, to anybody. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a monster. In I Am Not a Monster, a collaboration between BBC Panorama and PBS's Frontline, Baker lays out his three-year pursuit of Sam and her claims she's never aided the terrorists she lived among for years. Like the deeply flawed Caliphate podcast, it deals with an unreliable figure explaining their unlikely involvement in a war against the West. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about major plot points from I Am Not a Monster. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes. And FYI, I actually got to interview Josh Baker about his work in this podcast, among other things. So we'll be playing a little bit of that tape during this part of our conversation. But you can hear that whole interview on our Crime Writers on Patreon after show. Now, Kevin, this in On Its Face... There's no reason to look at the uh, synopsis of this podcast, the summary, and say this isn't just a caliphate retread. But it is very different, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there are the parallels with caliphate. I mean, mean, even if caliphate weren't back in the news for all of the wrong reasons, we would be comparing these two podcasts because they are about a journalist's look at telling the story of something behind the, I don't call it the Iron Curtain, but behind in within the caliphate which is mysterious and unknown to westerners right and in both cases you have a protagonist who is an unreliable character mm-hmm. and i mean i think that one of the great differences is just sort of in the storytelling primarily speaking i am not a monster just does a better job of telling the story of who this woman is and josh's uh, journey to get the story yeah. You remember Rukmini was panicked because she thought ISIS might be outside of her house? Yeah, they weren't. Yeah, Josh gets blown up in a car bomb. An you actual know, car an bomb. An actual car bomb and is injured. You know, it's like, okay, which one seems like it's probably going to be better? You know what? I have a little bit of tape of Josh uh, answering my question about being up, blown up in that car bomb. Do you mind if I just play that right now, Kevin? Sure. We hear in the beginning of the podcast that you were injured in a car bombing. You were in Iraq when that happened, right? Uh-huh. That was four or five years ago, something like that? Yeah, it was in uh, something like maybe the 21st of November 2016. What made you want to continue doing this work after that? I mean, I hear you in this podcast getting on a homemade boat, crossing a river into Syria, (laughs) notoriously uh, one of the most dangerous places on the planet. Why continue? Are you asking, am I mad? Is that (laughs) what you're saying? Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, No, I think so. Like After that event, I took some time to sort of look after myself but I have always enjoyed going to places like this because I think you find some of the most compelling stories and you also find some of to sound a bit idealistic some of the stories that perhaps really need to be told that don't always get the attention they should and personally I kind of like the challenge of 
trying to convince people to look at something they either have a prejudice to or, or are not familiar with in a slightly different way, perhaps. So, Toby, there is an obvious comparison with Caliphate. And as Kevin said, this podcast does a lot better at a lot of the things. But one of them is the frame of the story, right? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think framing it as what what can you trust about Sam? And like a lot of it is sort of trying to evaluate the truth of the story she's telling by contextualizing it and then also checking where you can. Mm. So you're wary of her the whole time. And that's, that's sort of a lot of the tension of the podcast. Uh, I mean, there's also the story, obviously, but that's like a major part of the podcast. I think with Caliphate, it was a little bit different in that it seemed like the thrust of the story was really like, what's the reality of uh, radicalized Westerners going into Syria? And this is what they got in trouble for. You know, they, they weren't as suspicious yeah. of their source. It, and, you know, I'm not a monster. Like most of the work must have been done before the whole Caliphate thing blew up. So, oh, yeah. they, you know, they had they had a better frame starting off with, I think if Caliphate had gone in that direction, I think it would have been stronger in addition to just like not being ridiculous. Right. So yeah, I think that 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 was sort of an important decision to make at the beginning. And then so you have this sort of two edge story hmm. is like the actual like story itself. And then can you believe it? Laura, I was thinking when this podcast started, because it starts, by the way, it's perfectly structured. I just want to say this up front. We have not listened to anything in a very long time that is, in my opinion, as well structured as this is in terms of the way they you know, put the story together, the order in which they tell it, the way they interject some things with other things. I started this podcast and I thought, okay, we have a prison phone call. Now this is going to be very sort of traditional where we're going to, you know, through the lens of 2020, this reporter is going to go back in time and tell us what happened. I didn't realize that he was going to be in the story and part of the story and mm-hmm. that therefore all of these incredible details and facts were corroborated like multiple times over many, many years. Like, didn't you find just the, the basic journalism like a little bit like crazy overwhelming when you were listening to this? Yeah. And so the first little bit that I'm listening to, I'm thinking I'm having like that caliphate, I'll call it like PTSD, where I'm like, how did they do this? How did they find this? And then it was pretty clear fairly quickly that this was not like caliphate, that this was just tremendous reporting that had taken place over, was it four years Mm -hmm. of work that went into this? And the fact that he is there, you know, talking to the sister, that he's got contacts on the ground, putting him in touch with all the people that you hear about and you're like, they will never find that person. Oh, now we're going to go talk to this person who's living in a tent on the side of the road. I'm like, what? So just... The level of reporting and sourcing and the amount of work that went into this was just incredible. But then to condense four years into these tight, just very riveting episodes that are so engaging that you just want to know what happens next was really just spectacular. I just want to say the fact that Josh was able to find these two sources You know, obviously he was looking for Sam, which we'll talk about in a second, but that he was able to find Aham, the little boy, and Swat, both Yazidi, who were sold as slaves to Sam's family, and corroborate details of the story by actually finding them. I found that incredible. So, of course, I had to ask him, like, how did you find these people? How did you find the two 
people you talked to, the young boy and the woman, both Yazidi, who were sold as slaves uh, and lived with Sam and her family. To me, that seems more difficult even than finding Sam. So what was that search like? And were you surprised to be able to find them and be able to talk to them at length? So hate to ruin it for you. Okay. It was actually relatively easy. Oh. And the only reason being, the only reason being, so the little boy Ahab, who is extraordinary, munchkin, incredible kid. So I've spent an awful lot of time in Iraq. I knew that he was a, a Yazidi, a religious minority from Iraq that had been persecuted. So essentially, I saw a video of Sam escaping ISIS. And in this video, I saw Sam, I saw Matthew, and I saw Aham, and I saw two other girls that were, were held in, in slavery by the family. And so I knew that once he made it out of Syria, uh, once he made it out of ISIS control to, to the part of Syria he was, they would send him back to Iraq. And I knew that when he went back to Iraq, he would be within a likely, I mean, there was a bit of luck in this, but I knew he would be in a certain community, a certain geographic area of Iraq. And then the way those communities work, they're quite hierarchical. So what I did is I got one of my friends and a, a local fixer in Iraq to just go to this community and try and find people who might know. And I think we, we were lucky that we found Aham within, I think, about 48 hours of really setting that in motion. And then later I would fly and meet him. I got this amazing video of my fixer in the car with Aham and both of them like playing and joking. Hmm. It just came through. It was the best feeling. And then Suad, Suad is pure luck. While I was in this hotel room in Syria and not long after I got the call from the powerful Syrian man who would introduce me to Sam, I get another call and it's from Laurie. And she's like, I have this Iraqi number ringing me. I don't know who it is. Can you check it out? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm sat here with a translator. We can easily ring. So give this number a call and it's Suad, the girl. And essentially she is back in Iraq. She's been returned like Aham to the community where she's from. But Sam asked her to memorize Laurie's number hmm. so that when she got back, she could tell the family, tell Sam's family in America that she was okay. So she couldn't do the best job of describing where she was. But I went to Iraq and I think within about sort of six hours of searching, we managed to find her. <laughs> Kevin, yeah. we talk a lot about podcasts that don't land the plane in any way. When you started listening to this podcast and you realized what the structure of it was and that Josh was actually going to look for Sam somewhere in Syria, did you think that he would actually find her? Uh, yes, because we hear it right in the beginning. Well, but it's a prison phone call we hear in the beginning. Yeah, well, but I think that's okay. I think it's a good way to set it up. I mean, yes, it does sort of take away some of the mystery about well, where is she? And she's, she's behind enemy lines. And is she actually alive? So that gets sacrificed. But I think that to start it with, you know, him asking her tough questions while she is in prison waiting uh, on a, a plea deal that she's made, right, that he's also able to set up all these little signposts along the way about what we're going to hear and what the important things are, whether from just you know, who she actually is and, and her journey, but also to the questions about, like, why would she do this? Hmm. Toby, one of the things that really strikes me in this podcast, A, is the fact that uh, for once we have a reporter who went to look for something and actually found it, not just one time, but three times so far in this podcast. But also that Sam as a central figure at the beginning is set up in parallel and completely opposite ways. We have her sister 
uh, and friends talking about her being wonderful, generous, sweet, smart, funny. And then we have her ex-husband and her father basically describing her as conniving, thrill-seeking, will lie to your face. What would you describe her? What's she like? Samantha is a very outgoing person. People like her. But half the time you can't tell what the truth is and what not the truth. So you have to read between the lines. What do you think of these parallel but completely opposite portraits of this central figure that we are given right at the outset of this podcast? Well, I mean, she seems real, right? She's like a developed person. And it's not hard to see where in like family situations where, where you know, you have those kinds of relations that... I guess not like with friends or wherever where you're seeing them when you want to or whatever, that, that she would be one way. And that if she, you know, was sort of a thrill seeker or whatever, that, that has certain uh, consequences for other people in her family. So it's not that surprising that a friend who is probably there when, when she's on doing the fun stuff, but you don't have to do the same kind of, you don't disappoint your friends or or you know let them down or have to lie to them to do something that you know they don't want you to do in the same way you do with your family. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was it's a good setup because when you do follow her to Syria, you see from the people who they talk to in Syria, you see the sort of warmer side of her, right? But you suspect the other side while she's telling you stories. It's warm but complicated because we hear and he corroborates it from these two Yazidis, the child and the woman, that she was warm, she was kind, yet they were purchased as slaves by her and her husband and they all acknowledge, both she and um, the woman, Suat, acknowledge she was purchased as a sex slave for Musa, the husband, and Sam may or may not have tried to make it, quote, unquote, easier for her. Mm. But it occurred to me, I mean, did you guys think at all, Laura, that like both things could be true? Like maybe she is not being honest about how she got there. Maybe yeah. she was a thrill seeker who wanted to go along with us, and then maybe she got there and kind of was in over her head. We haven't watched the Frontline documentary, by the way, that goes with this, which I apparently has all the spoilers. I really love the podcast. I uh, took a couple of peeks. Okay. But didn't it occur to you, Laura, that like through these lenses, both things could be true? Yeah, actually, that's how I was thinking about it, because I felt like that the description of her that we had at the beginning to me, compared to all the other characters that were described, I really didn't have a sense of her. So I couldn't really like totally decide, did she go there on her own? Did she like, how did she go there? But I did feel like once she was there, because I kind of was thinking like, if I was there, I would be like, holy shit, what have I gotten myself into? Now I'm stuck here. And there's no way out. And it's kind of like, you do things if you were in a different environment, you would not condone, because it's kind of like survival. And so I it did it did ring true to me when I was listening to the description of her saying, I'm sorry that he's doing this to you. I wish it didn't happen. And and trying to become, you know, because what what is she going to do? Try to escape? Like yeah. the ISIS people, I mean, you hear, and, you know, so I think it was one of those where I don't feel like we have the true portrayal of why she actually decided to go there yet. 
Not yet, I don't think, but I think we probably will. Yeah. Kevin, I have a journalism question for you. Okay. We tend to either like or hate, depending on how well or poorly it's done, podcasts where the journalist at the center of it talks about how they did the journalism. So in the dark, obviously, it's done perfectly. You know, they say, we did this because of this, we did this because of this. Mm-hmm. One thing that Josh does in this podcast is he talks about having sources and why he has to keep them you know, anonymous. He talks about how he's communicating with people. He talks about how he gets tips. He also talks about how he was trained to talk to victims of trauma in those interviews. And I think in a lot of podcasts we've listened to, like that could have gone very differently, those interviews, right? How did you feel when you heard that little boy on tape singing those songs? One banana, two banana, three banana, four, four banana, big you can listen. Where did you learn this song? From his family I'm breaking. From the American family? Yeah. He was sold as a slave, but it's not the way he sees it. He's a child. Well, he has very light touch with all of his interviews, it seems, where he doesn't press too, too hard on folks. And as he says, he lets them tell the story the way they want to. And I think that benefits, you know, the, the product that we get at the end. You know, you certainly don't want to go through all the trouble of going halfway around the world you know, crossing into a war zone only to, you know, lose the interview because you came on too strong or you did something silly that was unnecessary. So I think that he certainly made the most of his uh, his time there. Look, by the way, we also can't forget that this podcast really is, well, it goes hand in hand, hand, in hand with the the video documentary so when you hear them like talking about microphones, it's not radio slash podcast microphones that they're using. It's all set up around TV. So they've got uh, cameras and lapel microphones, things like this, because primarily I think they are shooting a documentary. But that like benefits the podcast in a couple of ways. One is that, you know, unlike a, a podcast uh, for a documentary, you need a lot of B-roll. You yeah. can't just have, you know, interview uh, sound bites and narration. Uh, so they've got a lot of, you know, sounds and audio from all this video that they can line the bed of the podcast track with. And it just makes it sound very lush. And also the difference between doing it as a documentary, which they do do, and uh, doing it as a podcast is in the podcast version you can really tell more of the first person story. Oh, yeah, yeah. The more of the reporter's diary thing, which podcasting lends itself so well to. So to lean into that, that stuff might seem extraneous in a uh, you know a 54-minute television documentary. Talk a little more about your feelings and you know things, things like that. Uh, but I think it works very well here. You know, it's really interesting, Kevin. This podcast project, unlike other things we've reviewed where there's a TV thing and a podcast thing and they kind of come out the same way, mm-hmm. the podcast is being produced, even though it's Josh and his work, independently of the TV production. That's over. That's done. They are, as of today, writing the next episode of this podcast. Yeah. That's coming out. So they're basically taking all this material they gathered and reimagining it and going deeper and doing things they didn't do in this like very tight hour of Frontline, which I find to be a very interesting production approach. Not a lot of people would have the patience for that. Like, let's do my work again with a whole new team <laughs> and a whole new medium. I mean, I, I just find that super duper interesting. Uh, Toby, one of the things that I was thinking about listening to this uh, was in all of Leah Satilli's reporting, we heard a lot 
about radicalization, right? And the tactics of radicalization, how, you know, homegrown terrorism groups, white supremacists, has sort of co-opted some of the radicalization techniques of Middle Eastern Muslim terrorist groups, which, let's face it, our country has done a, a kind of a poor job of framing um, as being, you know, way worse and more prolific than homegrown terrorism. Obviously, now we know that's different. I kept thinking about the fact that Sam grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, which is in of itself a very kind of cloistered, marginal way for a woman to be growing up. They're not encouraged to be educated. They you know, wear skirts. There's like a lot of rules. She then rejects her religion, meets a guy, and then is taken to Syria which is, again, a place where women are subjugated. Of course, it's heightened there because a lot of other stuff going on. What did you think when you heard about, you know, just the experience of an American going to Syria and what was actually happening there when she was there? Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of how being a Jehovah's Witness might have played into the whole thing. Uh it's super interesting hearing her talk about it, about like not wanting to go out or go to the store because she has to remove this cloth from in front of her eyes so she can read a label and then some guy will come and yell at her. Hmm. Or, uh, you know, she wants to feel the, you know, texture of a fruit or something and, and somebody yells at her or somebody comes and whacks her with a stick on the street. You know, like if you're in the supermarket and you take off your glove so you can feel the texture of a fabric for your baby and then men start yelling at you, or you uncover your eyes. There's like this fabric that goes over you. You uncover your eyes so you can read the ingredients or read the price of something, and men start yelling at you. It's The Handmaid's Tale, Who right? gets to have it that job? Hand- I'm the stick whacker. No, you would like literally if you're I just think a man. It's like anybody. Oh, just anybody? Yeah. You could like a citizen's arrest. You kind could of thing? walk down the street and discipline uh, me for what I'm wearing, yeah. walking the dogs, like in in this in this caliphate. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Handmaid's Tale. But I guess there's the other thing is just beyond sort of the cultural stuff, it's you're going from the Midwest to an active, very intense war zone, you know? And she talks about it. And at one point, you know, the house next door is bombed and she thinks her kids are dead and she goes and finds them and they're covered in dust and and rubble. And then she goes to a slave market and buys a slave. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like these things. It's just the cultural whiplash must have been quite something. And then you're just throwing that on top of sort of family trauma and, 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 you know, the betrayal by your husband. Abuse, yeah. And things like that. So it's, she's got a lot going on. Laura, I want to ask you a couple of questions about details that come out in this podcast that kind of blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hear about this child, Matthew, who's Sam's son, who is used by ISIS in propaganda videos that are widely distributed around the globe, threatening President Trump. I mean, Matthew being there obviously gave this group power because they were able to use him. But he was also, of course, in these homegrown videos being made by Musaf to do all these terrible things. Mm -hmm. But then we get, and I think a great get, an interview with Matthew's dad, Sam's ex. But Matthew's dad just won't let Josh, like, meet him at a Holiday Inn. Like, he gives him coordinates to meet an elk hunt in the middle of the woods. I thought Josh was going to get blown up. But before we sit down to talk, he has a request. He hands me his vintage Eastern European rifle, complete with retractable bayonet, and points to a water bottle balanced on a tree. I guess he figures, I've been to Iraq. I must know how to handle a gun. But I miss. Twice. 
What did you think about that, that Josh had to bushwhack into the American wilderness to meet this guy to do an interview during an elk stalking? So I think a couple things. Number one, I think it shows that Sam is attracted to men that, you know, they they have some similar and some, you know, like, I'm like, oh, okay, so this guy's a little bit paranoid and he's got some stuff going on. Okay, so Sam was with him. But then when they were out there on the hunt... <laughs> Yeah. First of all, they well the part where he went out to the coordinates and no one was there and he like wrote his name and like was it the snow <laughs> in or sticks. Something? Yeah. He wrote his name like, in sticks. Yeah. Josh, why didn't you have a pen? <laughs> I was here and I'm like, oh my gosh. But then like so you're going along and you're doing the little interview and you and you forget that they're out like on this hunting trip and they'll be like, Oh, there he is up ahead. And I'm like, Oh my god. Like, what is this? But I just, I liked that kind of detail because to me that just totally enhanced the story in a good way because sometimes it's obnoxious when we get these like extra details when somebody's out reporting. Side trips, yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't care that the person's making tea or whatever. But this was actually just kind of interesting. It, It was good. I'll tell you one of the pieces of writing in that episode that really made me realize the writing in this podcast is so strong that I don't think about it. Like, that's how you know something is well written. But I loved when he was talking about how burly and strong Juan was. And he was like, he made me try to pull back the string on his bow and I couldn't even pull it, which I don't know if that says more about me or him. I thought that was really, really interesting. Kevin, I do want to talk just a little bit about Matthew being used as that military prop. What are your impressions of of that in the story and in the podcast? Well, I think it sort of raised the stakes when you you, you hear you not see, but you hear that he's being used in this these videos, and it, it sort of reframes the dynamic about Sam. It's one thing if she were you know single, or she was just with this guy and and decided to follow him on a fool's journey into a war zone. But then when you also bring in your family and kids, you know, the fear would be something would happen to the kids. And here, you know, they're being manipulated. So it really is something that ratchets up the tension for me. Mm. And, you know, also the consequences. It's not just about this woman's decision to, you know, make a, a dangerous journey across the world. She's also endangering others, meaning her her family. And, uh, you know, as parents, we want to protect our kids and not, you know, unnecessarily put them in harm's way. And, you know, man, just the idea that this, you know, cute, fun-loving kid is smiling, talking in these videos and, you know, demonstrating how to make a suicide bomb, you know, or a suicide vest, something like that, taking apart a machine gun. Loaded. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's very striking. It's meant to, it, you know, the terrorists want that to be shocking, and it is. Toby, isn't it also sort of playing into this narrative that, you know, we, not you and me and Kevin and Laura, but that, like, the public is, it's very easy to vilify women in a way, because the question that I just heard in the podcast again and again, and I can imagine people asking and I'm sure part of the narrative around Sam is that she let this happen to her kids when it's very clear she's living in a place where if she had resisted this happening to her kids, like she'd be dead, even if she was complicit. Um, I don't know. That just kept striking me. That sort of question of like her being questioned as a mother. It's a fair question. Did you think this was OK? Did you try to stop it? But don't you also know, Toby, as a listener, that if she had tried to stop it, 
she'd be dead. Yeah, I don't think once they get there, she has much of a choice of what she's doing. And I don't really question her um, because it sounds, I mean, the story she tells is basically that she got tricked, but it's the, the moment when they, when they go over. Yeah. Like that was basically her last chance to have agency and, you know, the way she tells it, she didn't really have much of a choice. She was taken by surprise and it was either turn around without my kids or follow them over. But when she's there, she's there, right? Like, even yeah, if she went meant to not, go there, yeah. Right. So, and then when she's there, I mean, the whole society is sort of set up so that she doesn't have the opportunity to to leave. Um, there's things that, that I think you could probably be critical of her about, but that seems unfair. Kevin, before we wrap it up, I have a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Production quality of this podcast. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I already said I think it's very, very good. And it, it benefits from the fact that it's also being done as a, uh, a documentary on, on film because, hey, you know, uh, audio is half a video. So you have a lot of different resources. And, you know, if you're going to be telling a good story, it's nice to be able to sweeten it with great stuff. I mean... At first, I thought, you know, the audio of that uh, car bomb <laughs> was just, I thought, oh, I'm like, oh, here they are throwing sound effects in. and But it wasn't. It was the actual yep. thing. It was like, wow, that was that was really good. How come I didn't hear any screams? Okay. <laughs> uh, but then every episode ends on a cliffhanger, too, which, that, as we know, That I will say that the important. writing is great. Yeah, there's, there's seem, they do a good job setting up. The, the episodes are tight. They're only like 20 minutes a piece, 25 minutes. So it tells what it needs to tell, gets to a point where you can drop a cliffhanger and then does so. And they're satisfying. It isn't like they don't, you know, fake it. You know, it's not false. It's always like something really good. It's true. I was very angry when episode six ended and they took a holiday break and I didn't have my episode seven. (laughs) And I very rarely feel that way about podcasts (laughs) we're reviewing, where before we review it, I'm like, I only wish I could listen to one more. She's an informant? What the fuck? All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out I'm Not a Monster, a new podcast from BBC Panorama and Frontline. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down? This is a big thumbs up. Uh, This was the most engaging, riveting thing that we have listened to in a very long time. And the story is just unbelievable. It's got incredible sourcing with people. It's hard to listen to because... There are awful things that happen, but just the level of reporting and journalism that went into this and four years spent doing the research, it's pretty clear when you listen to it that this is well-researched and just put together in such a way that the story is told in a very compelling fashion. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for I Am Not a Monster? I give it a thumbs up. I Yeah, it's really good. I think it succeeds both as sort of Sam's story, but then also as a, you know, uh, trying to assess, like, how much can you trust what she has to say? I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. I kind of feel like it would be great to have listened to the whole thing and then talk about it, because I feel like there's there's going to be some important events and, and context to come. Uh, but I'm looking forward to listening to it. Toby, I'll make you a deal. If you and I both listen to the rest of the podcast, we'll talk about it on either a future episode or a after show, Okay. That works. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for I Am Not a Monster? I'm a thumbs up. I started thinking about some of the things that the BBC Sounds have put out, and there have been a lot of swings and misses. This is not – this is a home run. Uh, you definitely can tell 
you know, the care three to four years worth of reporting brings to a story. It's got a great production touch. It's, you know, good to listen to. This is what Caliphate ought to have been. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think that it's, you know, it's a story that's actually much easier to understand. It's about, you know, uh, an American woman and, you know, her journey to uh, the dark side. Or is it the dark side? Or, you know, how... How culpable is she? I mean, those are those are easier questions to ask and perhaps be answered than, you know, some sort of geopolitical, you know, nuanced uh, position. So anyway, uh, I like uh, like Josh. I like what uh, they've done. It's a good podcast. And uh, well, I really hope that you know, we don't have the crime writers on curse where, like, after this point, it, it shits the bed. But I don't I think, think it's going to happen. I think it, I think it's going to be a good finish to the podcast. Yeah, I'm giving this a huge thumbs up. I'm just going to go on record and say I bet this podcast is going to end up on my 2021 year end best of list, even though it's only like a week into 2021. Write it down. It's going to be you're going to forget about this one. Yeah. This podcast for me is one of the best podcasts I've listened to in the last, I'm going to say, four years. It is. Wow. Let me just put it this way. Even if Caliphate was all okay and didn't have to give back their Peabody, if I were a producer on Caliphate, I would be ashamed and embarrassed listening to this podcast. It is superior in every single way, even though it kind of is trying to do the same thing Caliphate was trying to do. The reporting is impeccable. The journalism is impeccable. I don't know what the travel budget was, but I want to know real bad. The mixing and sound design are perfect, and the story structure, one I don't want to spoil it, there is a moment in this podcast where they interrupt a key interview and go to another key interview in order to corroborate a detail in the first key interview that I thought was one of the best structured moments in any audio project I have ever heard. Huge thumbs up for Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. 
Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Oh, cue the music. (laughs) Kevin, what do we have going on on our Patreon right now? Uh, right now on Patreon, uh, you can listen to the Crime Writers on After Show, and you can hear Rebecca's complete interview with Josh Baker from I'm Not a Monster. He's great. And uh, coming up this week, we're going to have a new episode of Leave it to Bricker. Yay! Laura, tell us what adventures you're getting into. Um, well, I am out investigating owls and just what kind of damage owls can do when a they lot. attack. Yeah. Listen, so. we watched a whole documentary about that, Laura. It's called The Staircase. <laughs> yeah, so I went to an owl program, and um, I got up close with the owls. And I also found out about a suspected owl crime in my very neighborhood. Oh, nice. can't wait. Can't wait. We also have the latest edition of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and they talk about the third rainbow girl. And I'm just going to say that uh, Toby and his guests, they really liked the writing. They liked the author. Not so much, maybe, on the whole story. Huh. Is that accurate, Toby? Yeah. I mean, I I, I think we liked the book, um, mm-hmm. but it was this interesting thing where, while we all liked it, we were all kind of talking about some of the problems we had with it. But at the end, I believe that we all recommended it. Mm. And I think I've already talked about this, but uh, it, it's... It's worth reading. I thought we had a really good discussion about it. Um, so if you're wondering whether you should read it, maybe listen to the discussion, and that that, that may help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else have we got, Kevin? Anything else? Yeah, we're going to have upcoming a new episode of Married with Podcast. Can't wait. I love making Married with Podcast. Secret, guys. I'm sorry. No offense, Lauren Toby. I think Married with Podcast is the best thing. <laughs> I love it so much. Maybe that's just me because it's Do you love talking about yourself? No, I love listen, I love tackling the questions submitted by our listeners. Ah. They're so interesting. They range from like sex problems to work problems to family problems to marriage neighbor problems, problems. Neighbor problems. Yeah. Planting tree problems. It's freaking awesome. So, Kevin, of course, we do have the Crime Writers on After Show, which you mentioned as well. But more important, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? And continuing my streak of having a Jennifer, (laughs) our Patreon patron saints are Jennifer Robbins and Eric Horton. Bless you. Bless you guys. And yes, please support us on Patreon. It helps keep our little cottage industry podcast going. And you get tons of great content, including my full interview with the amazing Josh Baker. Kevin, thus ends the business section. Moving on. Dr. Fortier, he was listed in the phone book as a fertility specialist. He just told us to bring samples in and that he would do the insemination with my husband's sperm. Samples. For decades, Dr. Quincy Fortier was a revered fertility specialist in Nevada, but his reputation began to unravel when DNA from many of his patients' children linked back to him. I had a bunch of matches, which initially I thought were first cousins, but I don't have any first cousins. When I noticed that I had half-sibling matches, I knew something wasn't right. The only name that I kept seeing was Fortier. Among those seeking answers about their biological father is a retired detective who travels the country to meet the strangers who are her siblings to understand how these connections affect their sense of identity. How did I get here? (laughs) How did that happen? 
was it something unholy, something circumspect, something that was evil? The HBO documentary Baby God explores not only Fortier's decades of deception, but focuses much of its time on the people coming to terms with the truth of their conception, wondering where they truly fit in, and learning more about Fortier's crimes. Now, we are going to be talking about significant plot points for Baby God, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our reviews. And one other note, this documentary features every conceivable pronunciation of Fortier, 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 and given that we actually have no idea which one is right, we're going with how the TV news pronounced it on the documentary, which was Fortier. All right, Kevin, before we start our discussion and review. About Dr. Fortier? About Dr. Fortier and Baby God. What our audience may not know, if they have not listened to the full body of our work, including These Are Their Stories, a Law & Order podcast, is that one of your favorite things to do <laughs> is come up with creative synonyms for sperm. So I'm just going to let you rip. I just want to get you get it out of the way no, now. No, 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 no. So does it become part of our conversation? Kevin, what are your three favorites? No. Go. Oh, my God. Baby batter. Yes. Oh. Gentleman's relish. <laughs> oh, God. And knuckle chowder. Okay. Well, if you have others Ew. you want to sprinkle into the conversation, feel free. <laughs> sprinkle them in? Okay. Oh, God. Don't you mean toss them in? <laughs> uh. Why don't you just toss off a few cinnamons? There you go, yeah. Cinnamons, Kevin. All right, Lara. So I understand that you were personally moved by this short documentary. We should mention it's very short, <laughs> which I actually really which love is fine. in this case. Yeah. But you feel a personal connection to it in some weird way? Can you just talk about that? Yeah. So when I was first working at the newspaper with my, my dear friend Jason Schreiber, who, by the way, it gets the best stories in the state of New Hampshire Always. As we said many times in the show. Yes. Jason got a story. There was a student at the prep school in town, and he was very proud of the fact that he was the first successful test tube baby. And so the headline after the interview with Jason, the headline in the paper was, I have genius sperm. (laughs) (laughs) we always talk about like remember that genius sperm guy because you know he knew that he had genius sperm he didn't know who his dad was or whatever but he knew he had genius sperm so (laughs) yeah toby one of the things that really struck me is very early in the documentary they have audio of this doctor saying of course we all used our own sperm in these insemination cases what do you think of that? I did not know what to think of that, quite honestly. <laughs> and they didn't follow up and really give me any context for it. They kind of dropped it in there. Um, so I, I didn't know. I got a little bit confused. And I don't know if I just wasn't paying enough attention. And then I had to get brought back to it. But Because they do talk about how all these med school students, to make a few extra bucks, would donate sperm. You know, I was a donor. When I was a medical student, we would sell our our goods for $50 a sample. And they would pull the sperm and then inseminate these women. And then it's quite a while. Quite a bit of stuff happens. And then they start talking to these guys again, the two like kind of weird... uh, Gadfly doctors. Other doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And they start talking about, you know... Their kids are like, what do, What if you had other kids? He's like, I don't think they could find me. And I'm like, wait, did these guys also like sort of sneak inseminate women who are coming to their practice? 
Um, <laughs> no, and then they were just donating out, their gentleman's relish. Donation. They got 50 <laughs> bucks, Toby. That was pretty good at that time, 50 bucks. It's a lot of money great, for a toss. Yeah. Have, yeah. have a little fun, get 15 bucks. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, that was never answered. It doesn't sound like what they were saying is what their practice was to swap out their sperm for uh, you know th- their patients um that it just seemed like f- for the time something more like a conventional s- sperm bank where they're looking for a-, a sperm donor for a patient and it just that they were the ones that were donating most of the time what i did find concerning was sort of their lack of curiosity yes about or what, care or what happened with that it was and i don't know if that's because they were doctors and then you know it colors your way of looking at these things if you do this for decades and decades but yeah the idea that yeah there's you know a little one of you running around or what does that mean for your son for him to find out that he has 13 half siblings yeah. someplace else that was the part and that's just a little side detour from the main story but i thought oh if to me it's it's like what it tells me in part is that it explains why Fortier would be so uninterested in his own progeny because it just sort of, um, well, there you go. It's what you get. It, to me, it was sort of like an explanation of the normalization of this. Now, granted, we yeah, later was- found out that Fortier was a worse person for other reasons, but it was almost like those the purpose of those two old weird men especially the guy with the banana plant talking about how the flower was like a penis it was a hippopotamus penis Rebecca. yeah and the other doctor they interviewed like in a sleazy bar for no reason he's flipping through his iphone to show a vagiplasty exactly. or something yeah. oh, but to me you know to me it almost feels like that was the demonstration of oh it was just different timesness of this you know what i mean you know how we sometimes hear these stories and it's like well times were different the vagiplasty guy with the long hair who then was asked by the documentarians, what would you think if your you know, kids reached out to find you? He says, well, that's not supposed to happen. I'm like, have you not heard of 23andMe, my <laughs> friend? Is this news to you? Toby, what were you going to say? I was just going to say those guys, like they couldn't even talk rationally about their work. Like they asked the guy about, you know, why he came out there or whatever. And he's like, oh, there are all these women. Uh, and... You know, there's a need for women doctors. Uh, I, you know, not like actual doctors who are women, but I mean like <laughs> male doctors who who perform on women. Yeah. And then he's like, uh, he talks about women as females. He refers to them as oh my females God. at there's one There's nothing that grinds my gears more than men who refer to women as females. If you are a man listening to this podcast and you Writing do that, it down right now. fucking stop doing that. It's offensive. <laughs> it's it sexist. Yes. It's basically categorizing us as biological specimens, not as human beings. Are, I, I don't know. The whole thing is like you you don't even know how to describe your job in a way that <laughs> makes, makes any sense. So Yeah. Laura, do you feel like, you know, at the end of the documentary, we hear that th- this many doctors have now been, you know, found out and have been prosecuted for this. We are now in an era, as we see in the documentary, as we've seen over and over and over again through all of these genetic genealogy crime stories where you literally get a kit for Christmas, sequence your DNA. You not only find out your makeup and your siblings makeup. My sister sent me her 23andMe profile. Now I know what I am, assuming we have the same father. Do you feel like these stories are just going to become like common? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, as I've mentioned in a recent after show, that's why I've had my uh, ancestry DNA kit sitting here for like two years because I've been afraid to like actually do it and send it in. I just feel like I hear stories like I heard a story from someone I know that they did theirs and they found out, oh, oops, we have other siblings. And then they found out, oh, their father was like a daughter salesman and had a little fun while he was out there. And that's where those siblings come from. And then, you know, I have uh, a friend and this is the craziest one ever. So he is 70 now. So he came out as a gay man when he was in like his early 20s, which was at that time, you know, that was kind of unheard of. But somebody does an ancestry DNA kit and comes up and it finds out he he finds out he has a daughter who's huh. 50 years old. Wow. And it was from a one night stand from when he was like a teenager and had like that few times where he had sex with a woman. And yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I hear these stories all the time. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, you know, you guys, maybe this is the year 2021. I'm just going to send my kid in because who the hell knows what I'm going to find out. Kevin, two uh, things. Uh, one is that, you know, I just found myself thinking over and over again, especially when we find out this doctor practiced in a tiny town before he went to Las Vegas. There have to be siblings married to each other who were born in that tiny town. Yes or no? Uh, Probably. The, the patrons came from outside of the tiny town. Right. How many people in a tiny town have infertility problems? Enough to maintain a hospital? I'm Probably just saying. Not. Well, look, the sto- but the story isn't really about the crimes that the doctor committed at the clinic. It's really to set up this this is really more about the people, you know, affected by it. Most importantly, the children uh, who are now in their 60s and some in their 30s and, you know, some in their 20s, <laughs> you know, just this generational stuff and sort of it's more about their search for answering the question of who am I? How did I get here? And, uh, you know, which are the most basic questions that people ask of themselves, the most, uh, you know, important existential ones. And so in, in kind of the way that like sometimes people find out, oh, no, I'm adopted and and. You know, that my parents aren't really my parents, that kind of thing. This is a similar kind of shock for people, but it's based on fraud hmm. and, you know, fraud perpetrated upon the parents and one perpetrated upon the offspring. Yeah. And so to all of a sudden find out, you know, that you also share, you know, DNA with dozens and dozens and dozens of other people, you know, across the country. Just, I, I think that that is a really interesting thing, and they, I'm glad that they focused more on that than on the true crime aspect of of what happened. You know, I just find that you know really fascinating. There isn't another kind of documentary that we've watched that, that focuses on that. Kevin, Wendy Babst, a.k.a. the Lara Bricker of this podcast, mm-hmm. former police detective who's now <laughs> um, just, just you know found out that she's descended from this uh, doctor doing all this fuckery. She points out at the beginning of the documentary that there are common physical traits between her and all of the siblings she's found. So I'm looking at all these features trying to say, well, what is common? Yeah, I think I'm probably the only sibling that doesn't look like the other siblings that I've seen so far. I think everybody else has a pretty common nose. Did you find yourself when you were watching this just looking for physical similarities between all of these people? Yeah, I mean, some better than others, you know, like a lot of blue eyes, of course, 
you know, oh, my nose is this, and I'm like, okay, yeah, but damn, when they got to that one guy. The geneticist? Who, yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Who, I, it's ironic, because he looks like a clone. <laughs> he looks exactly like Dr. Evil over there. Yeah. And then at the end, everybody's like, hey, is your uh, this finger longer than your other finger? So weird. I mean, just it's it's these it's, it's these little things that uh, that I, they're looking for ways to kind of connect to a truth that has been revealed to them that upends their worldview, and so some people take comfort in finding out, you know, all right, here's somebody that I didn't know that is more about me and has a lot of me in them, as in saying, you know, that we share the same father, as opposed to I'm going to run away from this. Yeah. Toby, one interesting thread in the documentary is that at the beginning, we meet some children of Dr. Fortier who defend him on camera and say he was very smart. You know, he was just doing this because he thought he was helping, yada, yada, yada. About 60% of the way through, we find out that Fortier was molesting some, if not most, if not all of his kids, and then also had committed some other crimes, such as impregnating a 20-year-old woman who did not go into his clinic for fertility issues, but for some other thing. And he just decided while she was there, he would impregnate her and completely change the course of her life. How do you feel about the role of Fortier's children in this documentary? Because it does seem like that changes throughout the film, right? Yes. Although... It's never normal, you know, and I guess this is just sort of our cynical age or whatever, but when it turned out that his wife left him and took all the kids and then he decided to adopt two young girls, that in itself seemed kind of strange. Hmm. And then they have this sort of longer scene where uh, the filmmakers with the daughters, the two daughters who he adopted, and they're, they're going through some stuff. And you've seen some television footage of Dr. Fortier and this blonde woman who turns out to be one of those two daughters. But in the documentary, even though you've seen her face on, on this news footage, she apparently did not want them to shoot her face because you right. never you see her from the neck down, essentially, uh, or the back of her head. Whereas the other adopted daughter, you know, you see normally you see her face while she's talking and stuff, yeah. uh, which was strange. And then they are talking about him. And, you know, one of the things that comes up, and again, it's like, what's going on here, is uh, one of the daughters talks about how he, he's self-circumcised. Yes. Ugh. And I was just Jesus like, Christ. Why? How would you know that? Yeah. Like, how does, why? Why is it necessary yeah, it at that point? But also, any... even if it's true, why would you tell your child the story of how you circumcise it unless you were a super fucked up person, right? Unless you were showing it at the time. It's just, yeah. So it's just like those kinds of things. Like, it just seemed like sort of red flaggish. Um, and then so that when they do kind of drop the bombshell that, yeah, he's been, you know, molesting his kids and, and basically anybody who was around is what it sounds like. I, I, I kind of felt like that was foreshadowed. Like it wasn't like this, like out of the blue, like I couldn't see that coming. It's like, oh, yeah, well, it seems like the signs were there earlier, which I think it's probably to the filmmaker's credit. Yeah. Laura, one of my favorite moments in the documentary is when Wendy a.k.a. the Laura Bricker of this documentary, <laughs> goes and talks to her long-lost brother, John, who unfortunately looks a little bit like Harvey Weinstein. Sorry, John, if you're listening. Why okay. is he wearing are... the hat? Why is he wearing the hat? Well, this is what I was going to say. First of all, I want to say, John, 
has one of the best commands of just rhetoric in the English language that I've heard from just a random subject in documentary forever. The way he talks about not being prepared to be this character on stage. Like, I love John. I'm the sperm that's confronting him. It just, the drama didn't seem, I, I could never step into it. Like, the motivation for the character just didn't fit. I love John so much. But Laura, does it not look like he lives in the coldest fucking place in the entire world? <laughs> yeah, that's I was like, because I saw them driving there and I was kind of like half. I was like, huh. And the next thing you know, he's got like a scarf and a hat and he looks like he's inside in a, and he's got the cabin. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I have to say my uncle, when he comes to visit and he thinks he's getting a cold, proactively will start wearing a hat and ear warmers around our house. So <laughs> maybe that was it. I don't know. But I, I did love him as well, Rebecca. Laura, but this whole story really is about all these disparate kids and what it says about their lives and who they are. And it kind of brings the nature versus nurture question up front, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's definitely when you're watching them try to figure out who they are, you know, and they're like, well, I never fit in in my family. My eyes were blue and the rest of my families were brown or I was a nerd or, you you know, like the guy who was like, I was so into, you know, math and science. And I think it was really interesting to sort of watch those descriptions throughout this documentary, because it's sort of like you, you look at like, okay, what is the role of your genetics versus what is the role of the environment you're raised in? And so I think my sort of takeaway as I was watching that was like the environment you're raised in can certainly help you out and send you on the right path and create opportunities or take opportunities away. But the genetics, you really can't change. And I think Mm. that was very clear listening to some of these, you know, the half siblings. And then when, oh my God, when they had this like church supper or whatever it was for all the- Awkward (laughs) meeting. Half siblings. Mm -hmm. World's most awkward dinner. Toby, what what did you think of that scene? Because I I just kept thinking like most awkward dinner ever. We have this is what they're exploring, right? Nature versus nurture. You have sitting there a geneticist, a lumberjack poet, a 20 year old guy who's like trying to figure out who he is, a former detective who describes herself as cold and detached, although I would say she's actually just a really fucking good detective. What did you think of that gathering, Toby, of all of those disparate siblings who share this one horrible thing in common? Um, well, I think they needed to do it because I think like the whole time, like you were talking about before, it's like looking for traits. Yeah. And so when you finally have them all sitting around a table at the same time, in addition to sort of being able to try and figure out what they might have in common personality wise, you see that a little bit with the geneticist talking to one of the other guys about how they like to do sort of mechanical things with their hands or something. But they're all around the table, so you can, you know, you can kind of look and be like, "Oh yeah, they look like they could be related." Yeah, um, and they do. I yeah, mean, they they, do. they they really do. Um, <laughs> like they have the same dad. Yeah, it could be. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Baby God on HBO? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I mean, there was issues with this. Like, I wanted to know a little bit more about, like, criminally how these people could be held liable for what went on here. But I just thought this was a really fascinating documentary. 
um, this whole like early world of fertility treatments and this doctors that were involved and this main doctor who kind of looked like Tom Hanks, just saying, I don't know what's going on there, but I don't know if anyone else knows that. I was like, oh my God, Tom Hanks, uh, Dr. Fortier, you all look the same. So, you know, I just think it was really startling to hear in this documentary that it was like, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but that it was like kind of acceptable for doctors to just be the donors for the fertility treatments. And the aftermath of that, as told through the children that were born from that, is absolutely fascinating. So I would say it's like not even an hour and a half long. It's it's super interesting and it's short. It's a quick watch and it's kind of crazy. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Baby God on HBO? Yeah, you know, I basically liked it. I, I couldn't quite figure out what the organizational concept was behind the way they put together the little sequences. It kind of felt like like you could have thrown together like the middle part in like almost any order, and it didn't didn't really make sense to me. But yeah, you know, it's pretty good. I, I think there were some things that they could have gone into a little bit more depth on or provided a little context on or or sort of, I don't know, just kind of thought a little bit more about. But for what it is, it's not too long. Um, and <laughs> it does bring up some interesting questions. And it's just, it's an absolutely sort of horrifying uh, situation. So, you know, I give it more than a mild thumbs up, but less than enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> Kevin Flynn. I'm I'm a thumbs up. I think that it's a little minimalist, but I think it's well crafted. You know, usually you hear that this is what the topic's about. I'm like, oh, it's yeah, hey, it's a guy who uses his own hot milk and he makes. Uh, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Uh, oh, you know, it's like that's it gets salacious, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, isn't that funny? Uh, but instead, by you know focusing on the people, uh, the children that, that you know who are coming to terms with his deed then, you know, it ends up being a, a much more interesting documentary. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a thumbs up. I'm a thumbs up, too. I mean, certainly the documentary could have been more ambitious, done more things. It also, in another network, and another, like, production deal, could have ended up being a ridiculous, way-too-long 12-part thing. So I'm not going to fault it for being short and tight. It was also quiet. And kind of nice and like a tiny bit of a character study. I found myself thinking that like there's a little bit of like Fargo-esque sort of like settings going on. We're in like the deep woods of Oregon and the deep woods of Minnesota. I don't know. It was atmospheric. It was nice. It was quiet. It was super gross. And, you know, short and lovely. So thumbs up. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. 
It's easy to use, and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. They got the meats. Toronto police have arrested a man in a bizarre theft. They say Kevin Errol Plummer and an accomplice entered a grocer's with a travel bag and began filling it with items from the butcher section. As they turned their suitcase into a meat case, they pulled a knife on an employee who tried to stop them. The pair exited with more than a dozen steaks and pork chops in their luggage and into their getaway car, which happened to be an Uber. The police's hold-up squad recognized Plummer and are still looking for his accomplice. Meantime, stores in the area have been asked to beef up their security. Lara Bricker... They've this- got a hold-up squad? <laughs> I was about to say, what the I hell is that? that. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty specific. Lara- Law and order hold-up squad. <laughs> Lara Bricker, this carnivorous crook is now facing a judge. What should his defense be? He was simply working on his new business, doing a black market keto supply operation out of the Uber. It's like curbside delivery for keto. Nice. Tobo, what do you think this dude's defense should be in front of the judge? I've got some questions about this, one of which is, and Laura Bricker will know what I'm talking about, but (laughs) on the next deep dive, we're talking about the feather thief Mm -hmm. and the uh, what he does is he manages to stuff about three hundred rare exotic bird carcasses yeah. into a suitcase. So it feels like a dozen steaks and pork chops doesn't quite fill up a suitcase. Either that or this guy was lying about how many suitcases he had. <laughs> so um, I actually I don't have like a great thing for this other than I think it must be uh, stowable in the overhead bin. Yeah. Uh, based on what they could fit in it. Yeah. Kevin Flynn, this carnivorous crook is now facing a judge. What should his defense be? Wasn't me, Your Honor. I'm a vegetarian. Mm. Don't you think it might be because his butcher box subscription ran out? Oh. Just saying. Oh. Promo code crime right. <laughs> he, he would have had a complimentary thing of bacon in there. I know. That oh, the, the, bacon. the bacon's so good, too. Oh, my God. Laura Bricker, we should probably end on that note, but before we do, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We do have a cat this week, and it comes to us from Smarty Summer Camp. I'm not sure what her real name is. It's Smarty um, Summer Camp. Smarty yeah. Summer Camp. Uh, Smarty By the Summer- way, <laughs> side note, did you guys see that those trying to identify the Capitol Hill Stormers decided that one of the men's names was Via Getty? Just yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the photos. Anyway, go ahead. Come on, cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Smarty Summer Camp says she has been a non-interactive listener since the beginning of the show. Always intended to nominate the cat Superstar next to our square egg maker. Superstar died. 
got special permission from landlord to take in a new cat, Diamond, during the pandemic, and Diamond plays fetch. She's smart, and she has been our emotional support through this pandemic. My kid's other mom has had a double mastectomy on March 20th of 2020, and since we live separately, they didn't get to see her for months, and this adorable cat has been such a blessing. So Aww. I will say Diamond I and Smarty Summer Camp. I totally get this because you all know I had a pretty dark period when Felix went missing last summer. Pippin the kitten plays fetch and things like that. And now during the day, we also watch birds together. I'm a bird watcher now. So I say the value of a cat that plays fetch during a pandemic when you're stuck in your house is invaluable. So that is yes. why this cat is winning this week. I agree. As long as I don't get a second kitten named Silk, we're all good. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if people want to go ahead and submit their cats, dogs, llamas, emus, or other animals to be pet of the week or cat of the week, aside from doing it in our Facebook discussion group, how can they follow you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and say, I'm actually your sibling, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Just kidding. That's definitely not going to happen with Toby. <laughs> if you saw his parents, like nope. he is legit their progeny. Mm-hmm. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they find you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community and our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. So much content. Our theme song was composed and performed by the incredible Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Basin St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where executive producer Kevin Flynn spends his time thinking up more synonyms for sperm. Chode nectar. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I have one question for you. Sure, go ahead. Actually, I heard you criticizing your husband's beard length. (laughs) Now, I don't know what constitutes a neck beard. Yeah. Because now I'm worried. Let me just lean up. Yeah, you're fine. (laughs) So what was going on with him? So during the pandemic, he reached this um, sort of maniacal hair beard situation (laughs) that was just he used to be a television reporter so I'm just so used to seeing him just be like not super high and tight he's always had like a little facial hair but just like neat from the neck up and it just went in another direction that I just had a hard time comprehending I would turn over in the morning and be like who are you (laughs) Uh, so he decides of course when he decides to start you know winnowing it down he decides to experiment and do it in stages, perhaps to see if there's some configuration of the hair and beard that maybe he likes more than what he used to do. There was a period where he had really trimmed the beard here, but the hair down here was still kind of long. Oh it was a little God. weird. It was a little bit weird. No, just just to return the sort of shaving of head story, I, the reason I'm wearing a city hat is because I asked my partner, Amy, to shave my head. <laughs> And she did, although she lost interest about halfway through. Mm. Uh, I'll send you a picture. But the back of my head has a complete bulb patch that runs from the bottom to the top, where the rest <laughs> of it still has hair. But she just she just lost interest. And then she decided she didn't want to shave her head anymore. Oh. So it could be worse is why I say this. 
partners in crime media. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.